0: That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello, and a very warm welcome back to the Friday Five podcast with me, Lizelle. And a weekly look at what's happening in the world of well-being. And I thought that with so much in the press about COP 26 happening at the moment, it would be good to take a little look at some of the broader issues of well-being, which is all about sustainability really, and well-being of the planet. And one of the charities that I really enjoy supporting and being part of is a charity called Plant Life. And they have got some really interesting initiatives going on, and one of them is the Billion Seed Challenge. Yeah, the Billion Seed Challenge. And they've actually got a challenge for us if you're listening to this in real time on Saturday, the 30th of October. Now, I think we all know that there is a lot to do to raise the profile of the climate and the biodiversity crises that's happening across our communities, and also the challenge to perhaps engage those who may not already be involved. And if you like plants and i know that lots of my listeners do then this might be something that you would want to get involved with it's called the together campaign and what it's doing basically is encouraging everyone to plant a few seeds on saturday the 30th of october or you could do it later obviously if you're listening to this later on and that's whether it's in your gardens window boxes or maybe together in your local community And it's really, I think, just about being a catalyst to encourage a mass planting, to encourage everyone to take part in a very simple act that connects us with our local communities and supports our local environment. And if you want to check out more on this, you can look at it online. It's together.org.uk. And if you just search for the Billion Seed Challenge. Now, something that happened this week further afield from just the UK, if you're listening to me here in the UK, is a Panorama documentary that went out early this week. And it was talking about the dangers, the real dangers, of so many single-use disposable plastic bottles. And in particular, the documentary called out Coca-Cola. And it was just astonishing, the scale of the plastic pollution. Now, Tearfund, and that's a charity that I'm an ambassador for, have estimated that in the Philippines, for example, around one billion, yeah, we're using that billion word again, one billion Coca-Cola bottles are burnt or dumped every year. One billion a year, just in the Philippines. And that is nearly enough to fill an Olympic-sized swimming pool every single day. Well, Tierfund's senior associate for economics and policy, Rich Gower, said the dumping and burning of plastic and other waste leads to death and disease, causing as many as one million deaths every year around the world. 1 million deaths and that's one person every 30 seconds. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about Tearfund's work and just really to explore the the real dangers of using single-use plastic bottles and what happens further afield, not just here in the UK where we can pop them into recycling bins, but what happens in the developing world. So here is Rich to explain a little bit more. So Rich, a very warm welcome to my Friday Five, and I'm so delighted that we're able to speak because obviously the Panorama programme, I think, earlier this week made a bit of noise, didn't it, about this whole issue?
2: Absolutely it did. It's been an issue that's been in the public consciousness for a few years now, but it's really important for people to realise it hasn't been solved yet. Some progress is being made, but there's much more we need to see happen. And big companies like Coca-Cola, who were the focus of that Panorama documentary, Need to go much further and faster in reducing their use of throwaway plastic.
1: Absolutely. I mean, how long have you been involved with this issue? What's what's your background at Tier Fund? Were you doing this before you came to the charity or was it
2: something that opened your eyes to it when you joined? So I've been involved at this in Tier Fund for ooh, five, maybe six years. I actually helped to start the circular economy, circular economy advocacy programme at Tier Fund which was, I think, five years ago. And that the circular economy is the idea that rather than digging stuff out of the ground, making it into something and then chucking it away, we can actually make that a circle. So we reuse, we recycle, we repair things, and we keep them going round and round, just like happens in nature, where in nature, nothing's wasted. Leaves fall off the trees, they rot, they help new plants to grow. So we've been working on that issue for quite a long time at Fund. And then we specifically focused on waste and plastic, I think, three years ago. So I've been there the whole of that time.
1: That's really fascinating, isn't it? I mean, the whole circular economy, is that really possible? Can we live so lightly on the planet that it is entirely sustainable? As you say, what we get out of the ground, we use, we then recycle and it just continues. or, Or is that really
2: just an unworkable pipe dream? We can certainly live much, much more sustainably than we do now. And we're starting to see that with things like, I mean, just the growing market in pre-loved clothing, for example. So (laughs) the alternative to fast fashion, pre-loved clothing and the idea that we can live lightly is something that's taking off. Mm. So, yeah, we can do that much, much more than we are now. It's not a pipe dream. It's something that we're still learning about. But we have this great example in nature. We see it happening all around us. And if we can live more in the flow of that natural world, that's going to be better for the planet. And it's also better for us as humanity and particularly for people in poverty who are the main focus of tier funds work. Often when the environment is harmed, people are also harmed at the same time. So there's a a sort of win-win here for the environment and for people.
1: Absolutely. I was going to say it's all very well for us in the Western world where we're nice and comfy to talk about, you know, pre-love clothing and vintage shopping and it all being a bit funky and and trendy and and of the moment. But actually the work that you're doing and the work that was really highlighted by Panorama is this life and death issue. And I think when people are buying single-use plastics, and in particular the focus obviously was on Coca-Cola and the sheer scale of that, and the fact that they are doing so little about it, How does this become a life and death issue? Why is it that this is such a toxic and hazardous situation for those who didn't watch the programme?
2: Most of us were aware of the environmental side of the plastic problem. So the issues that plastic causes when it ends up in the oceans for turtles and fish and marine life. And those are really serious problems. But there are two sides to the plastic pollution coin. One is dumping in rivers and watercourses that leads to the ocean and the other is burning. Now tier fund works with partners in more than 50 of the world's poorest countries, and we see plastic being burnt in backyards, on street corners, and in open dumps every single day. Now, the problem here is that the fumes are toxic, they're really dangerous to breathe, and they're also driving the climate crisis. That's that's extraordinary. So why are
1: so many bottles and, and single-use plastics being burnt? I mean, uh, is it because they're being used in those countries or are we actually shipping our waste over to developing countries to then
2: be disposed of with these toxic fires? I mean, so much plastic is used even in the UK that we can't handle all our own plastic waste here. So we do ship waste overseas, but it's mostly the fact that big consumer goods companies like Coca-Cola, like Pepsi are pushing large amounts of single-use plastic into these countries and that wasn't always the case so it used to be and some people may remember this even in the uk that you bought your coca-cola in a glass bottle a refillable glass bottle and you took it back and had it refilled now that was the case in country like zimbabwe or uganda just 15 20 years ago or a country like samoa which is in panorama just a couple of years ago and it's now been replaced with single-use plastic. Now, in the UK, we have a regular bin collection, right? So we can put that in a recycling bin it gets taken away. But one in four people globally don't have a regular bin collection. Mm. So if that's you, you're thinking, well, what do I do with all my waste? Yeah, you've only you really, really got two choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you've got to dump it or burn it. You've only got two bad options.
1: Yeah. I can remember being in Kenya. I, mean, my, I have family connection in Kenya and we have a home there. And you're absolutely right. When we first started going, when I first started going, when I was married, which was 20 years ago, we used to buy soft drinks. I mean, I I have to say very, very rarely buy Coca-Cola anyway, but that's for a whole other high sugar health reason. But we would buy soft drinks generally. In fact, we still do, you know, buy tonic water and things like that. And we'll buy them in crates and they'll be in glass bottles and we drink them and we put them back in the crates and then we take them back to the the store and uh, we exchange them for full bottles or or get a deposit paid. And there's quite a thriving business actually with the the street kids in collecting up glass bottles and taking them back for refunds. And in fact, I know Kenya has been, I think it was the first country actually to totally ban the plastic bag which they did overnight, which I have to say did cause a few issues when you were going to the market or people were trying to get their shopping and there was no alternative provided. Now they do make lots of alternatives out of thickened paper and fibre and and all sorts of things. Um, But it is just thinking it through, isn't it? What are the alternatives?
2: That's right. And you can see in a country like Kenya, how detrimental it is to the environment and Mm -hmm. to the people there, which is why governments in countries like Kenya have have initiated these brands. They've actually gone further and faster than many developed countries, yeah. which is interesting to see. I, I think the other thing to say about Coca-Cola as well is that they they also own brands like Innocent Smoothies um that you don't necessarily think, oh, that's Coca-Cola. or Costa Coffee is another one. So they yeah. are they're a really big brand that owns lots of other labels.
1: You're absolutely um, right. So you know. That, that I, I know through your work at Tier Fund and through my role as an ambassador that the, the four biggest plastic polluters are the ones that you track as a charity, and those being Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Nestle and Unilever. And I know that you've been really pushing them, haven't you, to, you know, to, to basically stop all this rubbish for, for
2: several years. Are they listening at all? They are. All four of those companies have made, um, have made changes, have made commitments, new commitments, since we launched the rubbish campaign. So we are seeing things change. Unilever have made the most ambitious commitments. So Unilever, mm. they're another of these big brand, brand conglomerates. They own Dove, um, Persil, Marmite, loads of others. It's extraordinary, so isn't it? Well,
1: once you start looking at these huge companies, you know they're linked with pharmaceuticals and, and, and domestic consumer goods, the, the amount of stuff that these big corporations own, and therefore their amount of influence when it comes to rubbish and recycling is just vast, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And that's why if we see these really big brands change, the Cokes, Pepsi's, Unilever, Nestle, the four you mentioned, that starts to drive change across the industry. And all of those four have committed to reduce the amount of virgin plastic, the amount of new plastic they put into their packaging each year. Mm-hmm. So that's happening. Three of them have also committed to collect what's left, particularly in poorer countries. So things are starting to change. And it demonstrates that even these really big, powerful companies really care what their consumers think about what they're doing around the world. So when we speak out, when we act, we can drive change, even at a really significant level. Absolutely.
1: I imagine that it's been a fairly uncomfortable week in the boardroom of Coca-Cola, for example. They must have been aware that the Panorama documentary was coming out and just how much reaction that would cause.
2: Absolutely. All of these things, keeping up the pressure and, you know, people writing to them and sending Coke bottles back to them in the post. Oh, really? Combined <laughs> with the media. <laughs> All of these things help.
1: Absolutely. And it's very interesting that, that you differentiate there. I heard you use the word virgin plastic, uh, and I know that actually looking at the Coca-Cola sort of environment policy, their commitment to using virgin plastic is significantly weaker, for example, than than the commitments made by PepsiCo and Nestle and Unilever. It is so that presumably is a key driver, isn't it? Virgin plastic being brand new plastic coming out of factories. And I've worked with brands um, in the past using recycled plastics. And I know, for example, there's a very good health company called Better You, and they make great supplements. I remember when I, I first got them, I thought, "Oh my goodness, you're using so much plastic." I'm not sure if I can really, you know, talk about this and advocate it. And when I looked into it, they were using plastic from the ocean that had deliberately been taken taken out of the ocean and reused and repurposed. So it's initiatives like that, I guess, that don't take plastic away from our daily usage, but just make it much more sustainable.
2: Yeah, and this is such a big crisis that we need to pull on multiple levers at once, if we're going to solve it. And the biggest lever is reduction is to reduce the total amount of plastic that is being used. And so over the last couple of years, the total of plastic used by Unilever and Nestle and Pepsi has come down a bit, so that's important. But also, like you say, the collection is important and using recycled plastic, because if they increase the amount of recycled plastic in their products, that creates more of an incentive for collection on the ground. Now, one interesting stat about collection is that almost 60% of all the plastic that's collected globally for recycling comes from the informal waste sector so that's people going door to door in countries like Kenya picking up plastic from the street or going to dump sites and collecting from there so those groups those informal waste picker groups are actually the backbone of the global recycling industry and another thing we need to see these companies doing is working much more in partnership with their, with those groups making sure their rights are respected because that's dangerous work it's often sure. done in poor conditions yeah. and making sure that they Receive enough income to provide for their families because it's also very poorly paid at that mo- at the moment, and that's another issue that is in the Panorama documentary.
1: Yeah, it, it it's really terrifying when you look at it at that street level. You know, we tend to think about these cosy words: reuse, reduce, recycle, popping our nice little you know washed-out containers into a recycling bin and having it cleanly taken away. That contrasts so starkly with the pictures that we see of this toxic smoke, this black smoke of these, these toxic fumes, the burning plastic that's being pumped out 24-7 in these developing countries. I mean, you've been there, you've, you've spoken to people on the ground. The impact is absolutely catastrophic. And because it's environmental smoke and you're living next to it, you can't escape it, can you? You can't help but breathe it in.
2: Yeah I mean let's paint the picture of it. Imagine if right now the air outside was thick with the acrid smoke of burning plastic and wherever you're listening to this look out of the window and think there was billowing clouds of black smoke out there. It's a bonfire but a bonfire of plastic and other mixed waste. It's on the street outside your house. It's burning at a low temperature producing a lot of soot and smoke and toxic fumes and that's where children are playing day in day out the same place that this stuff is burning. And the stuff in that smokes, particulate matter, dioxins, chemicals, we know they increase the risk of heart disease, of lung cancer, respiratory infections and premature births. This is a really significant health problem for people living nearby to where this plastic is being burnt. And that's all across the, the areas where people are living. because so it's not just dump sites. It's also street corners where this burning happens. It is
1: just staggering to think about it and i know in the philippines for example which was one of the countries that featured on panorama it was estimated that around one billion that's not a million that's a b for billion coca-cola bottles are burnt or dumped every year i mean that is a billion coca-cola bottles burning in the philippines every year
2: that's right enough to fill an olympic-sized swimming pool every day it's a staggering, staggering quantity. Isn't you,
1: it? Can't, you can't. I can't get my head around a billion empty Coca-Cola bottles, let alone it being in in one country uh, being burnt and the amount of fumes that that produces, and the producer, the very maker, the manufacturer of that product, just seemingly walking away from it. I mean, I I, I can't really understand how anybody in their right mind could actually allow that to happen. To be perfectly honest with you.
2: They need to do much more. And, and the, the funny thing is that Coca-Cola has this tried and tested model of refillable bottles. So we talked about glass already, glass refillables. But they also have plastic refillables that they're rolling out in Latin America. They could be rolling that out across the world. And then those bottles go back. You know, At the end of the day, you can take them back and get some money back. And then they don't get dumped or burnt. So you don't have those billion bottles dumped or burnt each year. So there there is a solution. It's not as if this is a problem without a solution. There is a tried and tested solution. Coca-Cola are already using it in some countries. They need to roll it out much more widely.
1: And I think, you know, one thing that the pandemic has taught us is just how quickly corporations, companies, governments can act when they need to. you know i mean it 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 can be a fast response i guess it depends on the on the impetus and and the 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 severity of that's being considered and how far up the priority it it kind of gets shifted hopefully this will raise awareness and and it will increase the outrage here in the uk is it a question of avoiding single-use plastics i know that here in the uk you can get if you really want to buy coca-cola you can buy it in tins you can buy it in glass bottles i think um you know there are options for us you could make your own using a soda stream machine perhaps you know i mean there are lots and lots of different options to get a coca-cola style drink is is that the answer should we just simply be saying i am not actually going to buy any more single use throwaway plastic bottles
2: there's two things that we should be doing the first is raising our voices so if you're buying from a company selling in single use plastic get in touch with them and say look I like your products but I don't like what your packaging is doing to the planet or the people living on it so I want you to change and if you can do that particularly if you can get other people to do that alongside you and post it on social media or that that has an impact and that creates the incentive for those companies to change but absolutely the second thing we can do is to change our lifestyles Mm. so I mean the really easy things there are refillable water bottles, which I'm sure many, many people are already doing.
1: Yeah, thankfully um, virtually everybody you see out now, or that I see you have seen recently. If they're drinking water, it's from a refillable bottle, and and there's almost a, a social stigma, isn't there, attached if you have to become very apologetic yeah. if your only option has been a single use plastic bottle. You know, if ever I have to use one, I find myself saying, "Listen, you know, I've used this five times already. You know, I I've left my bottle at home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not a bad person. I really do care about the planet. Um, and when you see, yeah, I go to events sometimes, and you see these huge cartons of of single-use plastic bottles all stacked up, all further wrapped in plastic. You know, I will always say, actually, it would be really great if you could just give everybody a water bottle when they came in, Um, you know, particularly if it's an event. You can brand it for your event. You can have, you know, huge refillable or water filters to give everybody nice tasting water.
2: That's right. And we can drink the tap water in this country. We can. I mean, let's not be too picky about it. We're very
1: (laughs) blessed, aren't we, to have tap water. You know, that's one of the reasons I've always enjoyed actually taking my kids over to places like Kenya, particularly when they were small, because little things like being thankful every time we got clean water out of a tap, you know, because that's that's not a given in in vast majority of the developing world. You don't just turn a tap on and get hot water let alone hot you know well any kind of water let alone hot water Uh, so it is such an advantage and just something that we take for granted we take our free water for granted we take the fresh air that we have the free air that we breathe that's clean it's not filled with this black toxic smoke there's so much isn't there to be thankful for and and I guess more that we could be doing to stretch our arms across the planet to help
2: others that's absolutely right and I think The thankfulness often goes hand in hand with that, doesn't it? Saying, wow, it's amazing what we have here and the privileges we enjoy and recognizing there's things we can do to help our brothers and sisters around the world, you know, our fellow human beings to experience some of those same things. And that just starts with our voices and our lifestyles.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So how do we get involved and how do we help? Tearfund, I know, have been working in this area for many years. You you are not kind of jumping on this this eco green bandwagon to make yourselves look good as a charity. I know that it, it goes right to the heart of everything that you do. How do we get involved and help support your work to amplify it?
2: So the first thing people could do is go to our website and you can sign up to find out more about what we're doing in this area. So... At the moment, we're very focused on the the really big UN climate talks coming up just in a few Mm -hmm. days now in Glasgow, so people can take action around climate, which is obviously closely linked to plastic because burning of plastic actually creates something called black carbon, which is a really powerful climate pollutant. It warms the earth 2000 times as much as an equivalent amount of carbon dioxide. So That's a really really big deal.
1: Gosh, yeah, I've yeah, never of the... heard of that, black carbon. So black carbon yeah. is this hugely toxic material by burning plastic.
2: Yeah, when you burn it at low temperatures, it's basically right. like soot. So that's a, a really powerful short-lived climate pollutant, it's called. Um, so people can go to tierfund.org forward slash COP26, mm-hmm. and that will find out how they can take action ahead of those big that big UN climate summit. And you can also sign up there to hear more about our work on plastic and waste, which is ongoing. As you say, we've been working on this for years and we're going to be working on it for years to come. Really pushing for more of the change that we need to see to protect people and the planet.
1: Rich, thank you so much for your time. I, it was a, a very quick call to to get you onto the show this week, in particularly in response to what was happening in the media. So extremely grateful. And as you say, very timely with COP26 coming up. So very much appreciate you giving us such an important insight into this major issue, which really does affect everybody, whether at home or away. So thank you for your time.
2: Thanks very much, Liz.
1: Well sobering stuff I'm sure you will agree and also in the news this week of course menopause it's the end of menopause awareness month and there was a march on parliament today if you're listening to me in real time calling for HRT to be widely available free of charge on the NHS and that was to support a bill that's going through parliament at the moment fingers crossed. Well, I picked up on a couple of comments on my social media, which I thought I'd share with you. Actually, this was one from, Uh, Debs and she says hi there for me it was the aching joints the mood the temper the brain fog and just generally not feeling like me I was so confused and I didn't really have any understanding of what was happening and why I felt very alone and had no idea that friends and colleagues had similar issues social media has been a real help on my journey to learn about and understand what has been happening. And then she's used the hashtag, my menopause. And I think if you look that up across social media, particularly on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, you will find some very interesting comments. And of course, my podcast here goes out not just in the UK, but globally. So hi, if you are listening to me further afield. And this was a lovely comment actually received from Jane, who writes here from Singapore, and she says, I have suffered from appalling sleep, mood swings and anxiety since my mid 50s, living an itinerant lifestyle as an expat. And I put it down to that. Only recently and at the age of 60 have I started HRT. And this was largely due to pioneering people like Liz and Louise Newton who have taken menopause out of the dark ages. My wonderful gynaecologist here in Sydney prescribed estrogel, testosterone, and utrogestan six weeks ago. The improvement in my symptoms, although ongoing, has been phenomenal. For anyone who is concerned about seeking help or taking that first step to HRT recovery, my advice would be to educate yourself with every available article, podcast, and YouTube video on the subject. Knowledge is power. And you will quickly find that you will never again trust your health to poor data and misinformed others. Well, thank you very much, Jane, for sharing that. And it's lovely to hear of the global reach. And of course, one of the great things about social media and online is that it is global. You can download the Balance app, for example, for menopause. It's free of charge. You can download it anywhere in the world. Have a look at what the Menopause Charity is doing here in the UK, menopausecharity.org. And they will have lots of information and pointers and evidence-based information to help. And just before I go, I wanted to point out a podcast that came out earlier this week on the Lizard Wellbeing Show. This came out as the long-form interview that goes out on a Wednesday. It's still up there, obviously. You can find it to download. And it's with the nutritionist and the Cordon Bleu chef, Jane Clark. And she joined me to discuss eating challenges, particularly with a focus on dementia. Because while we know that memory loss and confusion are the most well-known symptoms of this neurological disease, it can also really affect a person's ability and desire to eat. And this is something that Jane experienced firsthand when her father was diagnosed with the disease in 2006. And saddened to discover that most people with dementia are served pureed, quote, brown mush, according to Jane, she set out to develop a different approach to the eating challenges that these people face. And Jane truly is the go-to expert here on ensuring everybody has healthy and delicious food to support body and mind. And she very generously shared her story. It's quite heart-wrenching actually it may well bring a tear to the eye if you take a listen but it has super helpful tips for those struggling with eating challenges at every stage of life including our end of life so that's it for this week thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for your comments of course you can catch us on social media we are widely available across all the usual social media platforms you can follow me personally on instagram at lizalme Obviously, my Lizard Wellbeing team and magazine are also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the usual suspects. Don't forget to tune in also to YouTube, where we post regular videos and vlogs, which I hope you enjoy on a wide range of subjects. Thank you very much for all your reviews. Do click those five little stars at the end of this podcast recording. It really genuinely does help others to find the show, and we are super grateful. So until the next time we speak, go well. Bye-bye